Hello, Real Life family and friends. And if you're watching today and visiting with us, I'm Tim, pastor at Real Life in Montrose, and excited to be sharing with you one of Jesus's most uh, famous and impactful messages. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Last week I did week one and uh, I called it um, Living a Blessed Life because Jesus goes through these beatitudes and really a beatitude means the state of blessedness. And he began to challenge the teaching of the day, which was a real heavy-handed, burdensome religious preaching or teaching on the people. And so Jesus began to lighten the load for people. He began to really dig into what the law really means and the heart behind uh, God's word and his, his will for our lives. That God is not vindictive. He's not angry. He's not mad. But rather, he is near to us. Those who hunger for him, those who thirst for him, will be filled with him. If you're hurting, if you're grieving, that he's a God of comfort. If you're humble in, in, in spirit, you will be able to see God. You'll be able to know him. You'll be able to have a relationship with him. God isn't distant. He isn't um, just this ruling you know, force in the distance that... that um, uh, sends vengeance upon us when we mess up or sin, but God is near to us. He loves us. He's got uh, compassion for us and mercy for us. And so anyway, that's what we started talking about last week. And I finished the message by quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. And this is really the heartbeat of Jesus's ministry. In his first sermon to those in his hometown of Nazareth, he recognized the scripture and spoke of the scripture. And he said it, and here's what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, salvation to those who are hungry for God, right? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So Jesus came to heal our hurting souls, to proclaim freedom for the captives. Jesus came to set us free from sin and bondage and hurt, to re release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus came to... Um, Turn a light on where there was darkness uh, to rescue us out of, out of the depravity of mind and soul and will and literally change us um, and free us from all the lies and the crud of sin that had just kind of um, distorted our understanding of God and blinded us from God's will. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that God is for us, not against us, that we can have God's favor, His forgiveness, and that God will restore us, just like he did in the year of Jubilee, that what was lost is now restored, right? And I, and I return to God. He said this, the day of vengeance of our God. So Jesus is teaching that he has put our enemies under our feet, the enemies of sin and the devil and even death itself, and to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And then the last sentence here of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, says, They, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Who's they? All of these people that Jesus came to, to free, those who um, he's preaching good news to the poor, the people that are hungry for God, that find God, 
those that, that Jesus was sent to to bind up the brokenhearted, those of us who have been healed of hurt and brokenness in our soul, those of us who have been received freedom from captivity to sin and bondage and brokenness and labels, those of us who have been released from darkness and wrong thinking and wrong patterns of living, those of us who have heard the good news that God is for me and not against me, they, those are the they, it's you and it's me, it's the people who have been transformed by God's love and his presence and his power in our lives. And it says, they, you and me, we will be called oaks of righteousness. Our life will be aligned with God. We will begin to live a new life, uh, a, a life of righteousness that produces life, not death anymore or brokenness. A planting of the Lord, that God is the one who's planting us. He's the one who has birthed in us this new transformation, this new life, this new power of a spirit that enables us to be um, new creatures in him through his spirit in us. So we're a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so Jesus put it this way later in that chapter, in Matthew chapter five, in the same way. He said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who's in heaven. You see, we are to be a display of his splendor. Our transformation is to bring glory to God. Our lives are to become in alignment with His will. And as we rely on His Spirit, His power in us to transform us, we become more like Him. We begin to reflect that light to the a dark world. We begin to reflect hope and love and peace and joy and freedom. And, and so this is God's plan for your life. And this is the message that Jesus brought to us. So I want to pick up where I left off last week right there in talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to move on from the Beatitudes, which kind of wrapped up in verses uh, 10 and 11 and 12. And then he talked about how we are the salt of the earth. And this is in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. So we covered Matthew 5, uh, the first, say, 12 verses or 15 verses last week. And I want to go into the next part of his dialogue in this message. And I'm going to title today's message, A Righteous Life. Last week, we talked about a blessed life. Jesus said, if you do these things, you will be blessed. Now I want to talk about a righteous life. What is a righteous life? Well, righteousness means to be right with God or to be in alignment with God's will. So when you're not righteous, it's wickedness. When you're out of alignment with God's will or when you're off the path that God has for life, it's wickedness, okay? So Jesus has a path for you and for me. It's a righteous path. And we can actually have a righteous life before God. And there's kind of two different ways of looking at righteousness. One is the, the permanence of our status with God. And God has made a way for you to permanently be righteous in his eyes. And that is only through faith in Jesus Christ as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about here in a minute, and we are forgiven of all of our sins, the Bible says we are cleansed of all unrighteousness. There is no unrighteousness in us because when we place our faith in Jesus, we get his perfect righteousness. Nothing change, that cannot change, okay? But then in a practical scenario, the way I'm living my life today, the way that you're living your life today, I'm not always perfect right? So my spirit is righteous. My position before God, my relationship before God is righteous. But practically speaking, once in a while, I'm wicked. Once in a while, I'd sin. Once in a while, I don't do the right thing. And so there is also a state 
of what I would call increased practical righteousness that God wants to see happen in your life and my life. That's part of the transformation. No, no one is perfect, even through Christ in us. We are not practically perfect all the time. We are not righteously, practically righteous all the time. But the Bible does say that we're in a process of being transformed into the image of the Son whom He loves, into the image of Jesus Christ. And so we are progressing. And the Bible also says it this way, that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. As the sun is rising, so our righteousness is rising until the full day, until it gets to you know, high noon, and it's perfectly uh, risen above us. And that is referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so until Jesus comes again, we will be growing, 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 growing in righteousness until he comes again. Okay, so positionally, salvation-wise, you are as righteous as you can ever be and ever will be through faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more you can do to add to that. You are saved through faith in Jesus alone. But practically, God is still working some things out of us, working some things into us, and making us more like Him. I hope that makes sense to you. But let's look at um, today's passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, picking up in verse 17, Jesus begins to challenge the teachings of the Pharisees and the way that they have taught the people about righteousness. They have been teaching the people that righteousness is based on their works, that they need to obey, that righteousness comes as a result of obedience to the law of God. And Jesus is flat out challenging that teaching right here in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's just birthing a new revelation of God's uh, perspective in the people's hearts, okay? So in Matthew five seventeen, this is what he said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is saying, I'm not here as a rebel tossing out all these laws and saying, no, that's not right, and that's not, and I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. He's, that's not what he's doing. He's actually fulfilling the true intent of all of God's laws, and he is perfectly living, modeling, and fulfilling the law of God. My mind can't wrap itself around this idea, but that Jesus is himself the word of God. The Bible says that the word was with God in the beginning. In the beginning, uh, God, the word was with him, the, uh, and, and the word was God. And so it's, it's Jesus, right? So Jesus is the word of God. We see this through the um, pro, or through the Apostle John when he said, uh, and the word of God dwelt among us and we beheld him and we saw his glory and he was full of grace and truth. And he goes on to say, it's Jesus. This is who the word of God is. The word of God in flesh is Jesus. So if anyone is going to fulfill the, the word of God perfectly, it's going to be the word of God itself or himself, right? So Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's not just a man. He is the word itself, and he shows up, and he's embodying the perfect reflection of the law of God. But it has been distorted over the centuries, and Jesus is calling out those distortions, and he's bringing correction to the teachers of the day, and he's setting the record straight of what the law of God really is all about. And, it's, and we can summarize it in one word. I bet you could guess what that word is. It's love, right? It is love. And Jesus is showing people that the Word of God and God Himself is love. 
That's why the people's hearts are coming alive as he's teaching them. So here's some, uh, just to summarize, the Old Testament up until this moment in history when Jesus is introducing what we refer to now as the New Testament or the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was based on the obligation of mankind living up to the law of God and doing our part. And if we do this, then we earn that, right? If we obey God's laws, we earn righteousness. That's just what the Old Testament or Old Covenant was all about. So here, number one, I put down in our notes, we are under the law in a sense. We are obligated to pursue righteousness through obedience to the law. In Exodus 19.8, two weeks ago, I read this scripture. The people, after God goes up, uh, Moses goes up and meets God on Mount Sinai, gives them the Ten Commandments, makes an agreement, you know, they shake on it, so to speak, and say, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. If you do these things, I'll bless you. If you don't do those things, you're going to be cursed. And the people said this in Exodus 19.8, we will do, we will do everything the Lord has said. And they entered into this old covenant, this old agreement that we are obligated to obey God in order to be right with God. If we don't obey God, we have problems. We are not good with God. God's not good with us. And there will be a curse. There will be problems. Okay? That's the Old Testament. But however, point number two I want to make is, over time we see that we are unable to fulfill our obligation to obey God perfectly. So righteousness is not possible through the Old Testament process. No one is able to obey God's word perfectly. It's just not possible. <clears throat> Excuse me. And God didn't come up with plan B. God had plan A all along. Plan A was to show us through the law that we need him. That's the whole point of us walking away in the Garden of Eden. God, I don't need you. I'm going to listen to the serpent. I want to be God. I want to know what's right. I want to know what's wrong. I want to call my own shots. I want to live life on my terms. I don't need God. That, that's the whole point of sin was us walking away from God, not trusting in God's word, not obeying God's word. And so God's like, all right, so let me show you that you can't do life without me. I am life, right? Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and life. You can't even have life without me. You don't even have breath without, without my breath being in you. It's on loan right now from God, right? So the whole idea, and Paul tells us in, in Galatians, the whole point of the law, and I'll read it for you here, um, if I could find it. Um, I don't see it right now. I might come to it later. Is that, oh yeah, here it is in Galatians 3.24. Paul says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, not by personal uh, self-righteousness or personal obedience, because that's impossible. Here's what Romans 3.20 says. Paul says this, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law showed us our failures. The law shows us how short we come to God and how we can't get to God on our own. That's what the law shows us. It awakens us to our need for Jesus. So today, if you've been trying religion or trying to please God or trying to earn righteousness through your behaviors and through your efforts, um, you're on the wrong path. You'll never get there. Religion doesn't save anyone, but Jesus saves. And today you can place your faith in Jesus instead of your faith in your own works. 
That's the whole point of the good news or the New Testament. And that's the whole reason Jesus came, was to give himself for us to do what we could not do for ourselves. Isn't that great news? It is. So the third point I want to make is the law is perfect. It's holy. It's righteous. It's eternal. So we can't just say, well, let's just change the law of God or lower the standards so that I can somehow meet it. We can't change something that's perfect. You know, that's God's eternal, perfect, holy law. So we can't change the standard. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 18, right here in this discourse uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he said. He said, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. In other words, Jesus is saying the law of God is perfect and it's eternal and it will be fulfilled. We can't just discard it. We can't change it. We can't alter it. We can't lower the standards of it because it is God's perfect will. All right. Fourth, my fourth point here in terms of righteousness is this. Jesus God himself, right, perfectly fulfills the law as man's representative. Jesus never sinned. He had all kinds of um, controversy around him, but none of it stuck. None of it was based on him actually sinning. The, the, the most intense moments of Jesus' ministry was with the religious people who were trying to put on him their interpretation, which is wrong, of the law. And he was refusing to come under that wrong, false teaching, because he is the word. He knew what was true. And so that was the tension between him and the religious leaders, not him breaking the law, but him not doing it the way they thought it should be done. All right? So Jesus lived a sinless life. And not only that, but he settles our account with the old covenant because the wages of sin is death. Okay, so if we didn't completely follow God, if we did, we would have rewards, we'd have righteousness, we'd have blessings. But the covenant also said if we didn't, we would die. We'd be under the curse of death. And so Jesus actually paid or settled our account under the Old Testament by giving his life, taking our death penalty upon himself to free us from that obligation so we could stay alive, we could be alive. So Jesus did two things. He perfectly fulfilled the law so that he could give us his righteousness and he took our penalty of death so we could have life. So Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says it this way. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior or because of your sin, but now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is the good news. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. My fifth point is we receive righteousness through what Jesus accomplished on our behalf by trusting in him. That's called faith and making him the Lord of our life, making him our covenant representative. Okay, that's how we get righteousness before God now. That's the New Testament. The new agreement is God says, I'll take care of it for you on your behalf if you will trust in me. Just trust in me. So no longer do we work for righteousness. Now we receive 
by faith of what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. I have a a little bit more to talk about today. In fact, I want to get into the the meat of this. But before I go any further, I want to ask you to receive Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior. If you're watching this right now and you're like, man, that makes perfect sense. That's right where I'm at. Then I want to give you an opportunity right now to pray to God and to, to place your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your sins so you can be born again and you can be made right with God. If that's in your heart, let's do that right now and then I'm gonna continue our message. Just pray this with me from your heart. Say, Jesus, I come to you today and I thank you that not only did you come to fulfill the law on my behalf, but you came and you gave your life for me to set me free from death and to give me your righteousness And because of this message, I choose to believe in you today and I place my faith in you today as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to cleanse me of all unrighteousness and I receive your righteousness right now by faith in your name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. It's the best decision you've ever made if you just decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So let me continue to talk about this good news, this this new law, the law of love that Jesus is actually introducing to his listeners. And so Jesus is literally fulfilling the law by perfectly living it and perfectly teaching it to the people. And he's exposing the hollow sham of something we call legalism. Legalism is the external keeping of the law while internally breaking the law, right? It's fake. It's following the letter of the law while breaking, excuse me, while breaking the spirit of the law. It's religion. And religion is an attempt to focus on the personal obedience to gain righteousness or favor with God. That's what religion is. Um, And legalism inevitably leads to something we call hypocrisy, right? And that that, that is a focus on external projecting to uh, posturing to people rather than internal, real, heartfelt change on the inside. And self-righteousness comes with that too, and it distorts the gospel. And it creates a culture of judgment and criticism, and it fosters pride. So this is the kind of stuff that was in the teaching and in the Pharisaic movement of the time. There was a lot of religious expectations, legalism, a lot of pride, judgmentalism, criticism, and the distorting of the true nature of the Word of God, the law of God, the love that God has for people. So this is how Jesus taught them. Galatians 3, 11 to 12, Paul reminds us, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. By faith. That's how we live, by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the man who does these things will live by them. So the law is based on deeds and works, not faith. But faith is how we get righteousness through Christ. And Jesus focuses on our heart. Um, the Lord said this to the prophet Samuel when he was called to anoint a new king of Israel. And he went through all Jesse's sons, and I think there were seven of them. And the eighth one, the youngest, was David. And he didn't expect David to be the the one that God picked. He's looking at the firstborn, the tallest, strongest, 
uh, you know, young man, uh, firstborn son of Jesse. And this is what the Lord said to the prophet Samuel. He says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so he went all the way down the line and then picked David because the Lord saw David's heart and he saw that his heart was fully towards him. The Lord is looking at your heart. He's not looking at the same things everybody else is looking at. We're all looking at the outside. You know, we all can see with our eyes what people look like, how they're sounding, what they're doing, what they're saying, uh, how they're posturing themselves. And religion tends to focus on the outside. Make sure you look good on the outside. But on the inside, you could be hurting. On the inside, you could be angry. On the inside, you could be immoral. On the inside, you could be uh, filled with toxic anger and vengeance. Um, You could be far from God. You could be a skeptic. You could be all kinds of stuff on the inside. But on the outside, you could be posturing yourself with a mask or whatever of showing yourself to be a completely different person. And that's just religion. It doesn't save anybody. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't change anybody. God wants to get into your heart. And that's the real key for today's message. So here's what Jesus does. He gives several examples of Pharisaic externalism and he turns it on its head and he shares with people the real meaning of the law. Okay? The first example he does is murder. And this is found in uh, chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So what's Jesus talking about? The letter of the law says, do not kill. But the spirit of the law is what God is really all about. And the spirit of the law goes much deeper than the outward act of killing somebody with a knife or a gun or a strangle or something like that. And it's anger. So the spirit of the laws do not hold anger towards someone. In other words, forgive people. Why? Why is this the spirit of the law? What's Jesus trying to say? He's like, look, if you let anger in your heart towards another person, it's going to grow and it's going to ruin your relationship. Not only that, but it's going to infect your soul and your soul is going to get bitter and angry and it's going to start affecting your whole body. And it's going to spoil not just your soul, but your physical being as well. You see, all of God's laws are for your benefit. They're not like to control you. And so the idea of murder, Jesus, it's not just murder. It's about having hatred or anger or unresolved issues between people. So he stresses it so much that a couple verses later in Matthew 5, 23, he says it this way. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, let me just put this in modern day context. If you're walking in the doors of the church on Sunday, Okay, and there all of a sudden you remember that your brother has something against you, that there's some anger between you two, that there's an unresolved issue between you two, that there's an offense going on. It says, if you're coming to church and all of a sudden you remember, wait a minute, I got a problem with this person or they got a problem with me. He says, leave, leave your gift in front of the altar and go first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to God. In other words, God would rather have you seek reconciliation with your friend than to worship him with anger in your heart. Do you see what God's heart is here? He wants us to love each other. He wants us to forgive each other. 
He wants us to be reconciled to each other. And we are going to hurt each other. We are going to offend each other. But the way, the new way of life that Jesus is teaching us today and those who are listening thousands of years ago is there's a different way to do life. You don't have to hold that anger. You don't have to keep breaking relationships because people aren't living up to your expectations. You can work it out. You can forgive. You can reconcile. And I want you to do that. And that's really the motivation behind the law, do not murder. I mean, murder is the extreme result of anger in your heart towards another person. That's where it results. But God wants to go all the way down to the root and pull that root right out in the very beginning. And that's anger. So we forgive. All right? So that's the whole point that Jesus is trying to make here. So he goes on to another topic, adultery. Again, the letter of the law, you know, is specifically do not have sex with another person's spouse. Okay, but if you do all this other stuff, you know, in your heart, or if you see someone and you're lusting for them and you're fantasizing and you're doing, you know, Jesus says, no, 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 it's bigger than just the act. It's what's going on in the heart. If you're doing this in your heart, that's the whole point. That's, that's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. It's going to harm your marriage. It's going to harm your family. It's going to harm your soul. And so Jesus wants us to see that the true intent of this is for our benefit, to guard our heart from wandering towards someone else, to give ourselves only and completely to our spouses, to have all of our affection and our emotion going only to our spouses. That's God's desire and intent because that's how your marriage will flourish and blossom. Otherwise, it will destroy your family life. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, Jesus is not saying to mutilate your body when any part of your body does something wrong. He's not saying that. This is a hyperbole of saying, take sin seriously and do everything you need to do to get it out of your life because sin is dangerous and it's deadly and it will destroy you. And it will destroy your soul. And it will destroy the people around you. So what Jesus is saying here is don't turn a blind eye to what's going on in your heart. If there's sin in your heart, do everything you can to get that right. Get that out of there and cleanse it and replace it with God's true heart. Otherwise, it's going to hurt you. It's going to kill you. It's going to damage you. It's going to damage the people around you. It's going to steal from you. You know, that's what happens with sin. And so that's what Jesus' message is in that part of the scriptures. Then he goes on to something I'm going to just call justice. In verse 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So what, and then Jesus goes on to talk about loving your, your enemy. He says in verse 43, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And this is totally opposite of what the teachers of the day were teaching. This comes from a verse in Leviticus 19.18, where it says in the law, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? That's an Old Testament uh, verse and law. Love your neighbors yourself. And you know Jesus quoted that. That became something called the golden rule. 
when Jesus taught it in the right context. But the Pharisees of the day took this phrase, love your neighbor, and then they added to it their interpretation. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They flat out just added that to it and taught people vengeance, revenge. You know, this is what you guys, you love your neighbor, but you hate your enemies. And Jesus says, you've heard this said, but I'm telling you right now, no, that's the wrong interpretation of the law. I'm telling you, love your neighbor. And he says, and love your enemies and do good to them and bless them and pray for them and lend to them and give to them. And in another, another passage in the Gospels, Jesus says, so that, you, so that they may heap burning coals on their head. And people are like, yeah, get them, get them, burning coals on their head. Yeah, that's like a sign of vengeance or punishment. No, it's not. It's actually a sign of repentance. And Jesus says, if we love our enemies and we do good to them, even when they're mistreating us, and I'm, I'm not good at this, but this is what Jesus is teaching us to do. If we do this, he's like, they might repent and they might get saved, and they might change. But hatred, clashing with hatred, only breeds more hatred. You see, Jesus is teaching us an entirely new way to understand God's heart and a new way to live. This is how we live a righteous life. We start to put into practice the teachings of Jesus. One more, and I'm going to summarize these three uh, that are found in chapter 5 and moving into chapter 6. Actually, mostly in chapter 6, 6 verse 1. says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so Jesus talks about giving. He talks about praying. He talks about fasting. And these are all wonderful, very powerful um, spiritual disciplines of believers. And he says, don't do those things so that you're noticed by other people. If you do, you're gonna, they're going to be powerless for you. Your only reward will be the applause or the attention that you get from other people, which is really no reward at all. It's empty. If all you're doing is trying to posture a religious, uh, outward, external, you know, um, uh, right, religious routines, so that somehow that makes you feel good about yourself because everybody thinks that you're really a cool person or a spiritual person or a good person, Jesus said, that's all the reward you're going to get. It's not going to do any good for your soul. Your soul is not really actually going to grow from the giving and the, and the praying and the fasting. But he says, don't do it for that, right? That's religion. That's not authentic. That's not real. So the purpose of giving is to help the needy, not to be noticed by others. So help someone. That's righteousness. The purpose of prayer is communion with God. It's not to impress other people or to pray these long prayers or public prayers or loud prayers to somehow posture yourself as a, a very spiritual person. The point of prayer is communion with God. And the purpose of fasting is to seek God, to know God better, not to display to others your devotion to God and try to make yourself look better. Okay? So Jesus is addressing the bad teaching of the day and saying, that's not what this stuff is for. We're talking about the heart here. We're talking about the heart. And then he says this at the end of this uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 12. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I love how Jesus is a masterful teacher and he takes all these complicated laws and he brings them together in one simple statement. 
He says, listen, and then we call it the golden rule. Just do to others what you would want them to do to you. That's the real motive of all of the laws in the, in the law, in the prophets, the Old Testament. All of them had the motive of love. And later we know that he says this to his listeners. He says, okay, guys, I'm going to cut to the chase. There's the greatest commandment of all, right, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not externally, but truly from the heart, with your soul, with everything you got. And the second is like it, right, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, on these two commands of loving God and loving one another, all the law and the prophets hang on those. So we see the true motive of the law of God is not religious, it's not religion, it's not works, it's not you know obedience, it's trusting in Jesus, all right? Through faith, we get righteousness, and then we trust in Him to love God and love one another, and that's the true motive of all the law. So, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you can't be perfect in your own strength or effort. We all know that. But through the Spirit of God in you, you can. And what I mean by that is this. In the moments that you are walking in alignment with the Spirit of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life, in those moments, God himself is living through you, and you are perfect in those moments. Now, of course, we have moments where we're in the flesh, we're in the pride, we're in ego, we're in our own abilities. And in those moments, we're not perfect. But Jesus has empowered us by sending his Holy Spirit to fill you, to anoint you, to be like him. And so that is our goal at Real Life, is to walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, empowered by him to live this new life that Jesus is talking about. None of us in our own strength or ability is able to love our enemies. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. But with God's spirit in us, we can do that. You know, none of us can walk a life without sin, but with God's spirit in those moments, we can. Excuse me. And so the fruit of the spirit, Paul says in Galatians, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It goes on to say, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, you hear that? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because when we're living by the Spirit, we're going to have these fruits in our lives. We're going to have these wonderful things going on. And Hebrews 8.10 says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What is he talking about here? This is a a quote, I believe, from Jeremiah the prophet. And foreseeing the days where the old covenant would be replaced with the new covenant. The time in which God himself would come into us by his spirit and begin to write his word, his laws on our hearts and put it in our minds and change us himself where we stop trying to do it on our own. But now God himself in us, through us, is transforming us to his glory. Remember, you are meant to be the display of his splendor. So I pray that God would just uh, fill you with his spirit 
and that you would learn how to walk by the Spirit and rely on the Spirit, not yourself. Your righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ and your righteous living will be empowered through the Holy Spirit living in you and flowing through you. Remember, this is all about our heart. So don't ignore what's going on in your heart. Jesus is more uh, interested, God is more interested in the issues of your heart than he is the outward um, activity of religion in your life. And so let me pray for you today. Lord, I pray that this message will have an impact in our lives. That first of all, God, for any of us who are uh, listening to this message today, that have been under a yoke of the law of uh, self-righteousness and works, will experience freedom right now in Jesus' name. That the pressure is no longer on us, that we release ourselves from serving under the law of sin and death, and we come under grace. We come under Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we repent, Lord, from trying to earn righteousness on our own. And we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior and place our faith in Him and rely on His grace to make us sufficient in your eyes. Thank you. And secondly, Lord, I pray that you will just continue to touch our hearts and heal us from the inside out. We know that you see our hearts and our hurts, our pains, our struggles, our, our brokenness, and God, I pray for the one that's listening to this prayer right now that you will just begin to do a new work right now in their heart, setting them free, healing their hurt, bringing them to a place of health and wholeness in Jesus' name, that there won't be any facade or fakeness about their faith, but their faith is in you, Jesus, a person, not a religion. And would you meet them right where they are, God, today at their point of need and heal them in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. And I want to pray a blessing on you now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. I love you. God loves you. I hope to see you soon. God bless you. Amen.